This is a podcast asking the very best in the world how to stay resilient. I'm Michael Bungay-Stania, and we will get through this. You know, when I created this idea for We Will Get Through This, and I was like, how do I curate a list of people who can contribute to and think about resilience? And how do you build the resources of emotional, spiritual, intellectual, financial reserve that allow you to navigate a difficult life or just life, which always has got its difficulties with it? You know, partly I went to money's part of the deal. And if you've been a regular listener, you already know that we've had a couple of great people talking about um, money already. And I knew in my back pocket, I had another colleague and friend who was also a fabulous thinker and speaker and writer on issues of money. And her name is Kerry Taylor, Kerry K. Taylor, just so you don't confuse her for a football player or an auction house or something else, Kerry K. Taylor. And really, she is one of the world's top personal financial bloggers. She's got a unique and fun approach with all things money. And she reaches you know millions of readers around the globe every year. She's also the author of a terrific book, uh, 397 Ways to Save Money. So even if you get 10% of those work for you, you're ahead of the game. Um, and in fact, she and I met at a, a, a training around keynote speaking. We were both in the process of redesigning and rethinking our keynote speech. And we ended up broken down in a car on the way to an airport. So we kind of knew each other during the training. And then we hung out for three hours in a broken down car. So that was fantastic in its own weird way. That was fantastic. Not least because we both caught our flights. When I first set up this interview with Kerry, you know, I was thinking, let's talk money. But here's the thing that is powerful about Kerry in this moment. Um, She has been diagnosed with an, she was diagnosed with an aggressive type of breast cancer last year. It's called triple negative breast cancer. Only 10 to 15% of breast cancers are TNBC. And for those types of cancers, there are fewer treatments and higher deaths. So it's a, I mean, breast cancer, always scary, uh, triple negative breast cancer, scarier still. So she has gone through the process of facing and dealing with cancer. And that's a, that's a very hard topic to talk about and one that requires the deepest of resilience and the deepest facing into anxiety and uncertainty. And when we were setting this up, I was like, what do you think, Kerry? Can we talk about this at all? And she's like, you know, why don't we just make this the centerpiece of the interview? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm thrilled and, and nervous about doing that. So Kerry K. Taylor, thank you. And thank you for this conversation. Oh, thank you, Michael. I'm here. <laughs> you are here. Um, and I'm grateful for that. It, it must be quite the moment when you have your, I guess, kind of nascent fears confirmed when you get that diagnosis of cancer. What mm-hmm. what shifts in that moment? Oh, my goodness. I was, you know, um, everything, you know, uh, everything changes in that moment when the doctor says it's cancer my life as I knew it changed paths instantly. Yeah. And, um, and the thing is before that diagnosis, I was on top of the world. I felt amazing. You know, I just, 
written and rehearsed and filmed a brand new keynote speech. So I was right. so excited. Um, the, the tape came back and people were laughing and I was so just happy that people enjoyed my, my words and, and my, and you know, my presentation. And it was such a great speech that I thought, Hey, this is a book. So I wrote a book outline and <laughs> handed it to my, um, to my editor. So I, everything was going really well. I felt amazing, right. except I didn't, everything felt awful. I was right. tired. My brain was foggy. Um, mm -hmm. I fell down a flight of stairs. I just had this exhaustion that I'd never experienced in my life. And when I went in to talk to my doctor about it, they tested my iron and said, no, nope, you're fine. You're not anemic. So I thought, okay. And then two weeks later, my body gave me the ultimate sign and I listened. In my right breast, my nipple leaked. And I thought, mm. oh, it's not a good sign. Right. So within that moment, I knew something was wrong. And I started going through all the tests. And as the tests came back, it got scarier and scarier. So back in the doctor's office, I knew what the information was going to be. I just, you just don't know how your body or your mind are going to deal with it in that moment. And I just know my husband was with me and mm -hmm. oh, he was so still. It was just, I was like, okay, wow, what next? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. What do we do now? And that yeah. set up the whole year of um, treatments, chemotherapy, um, surgery and radiation. I was fortunate in that I found the cancer early. Mm. Um, so it was stage one. But I was also in that unfortunate position where I had the most difficult cancer to treat. So I was one of those very few women at stage one that needs the full deal. So the full chemotherapy. Right. And it was just, um, I learned a lot of lessons about um, mindfulness and resilience that, that um, got me through and to this day are still getting me through. Where, where did you start? I mean, because I imagine when that happens... If it had been me in in a, in a kind of parallel situation, I'd be grasping at all sorts of things. I'd be trying all <laughs> sorts of things out. I'd be. I know you're you're kind of methodical in your the way you research. You're thinking about financial advice, and I imagine you'd be. I'd I'd be like, okay, who do I trust? Where do I go to? What are all the things I could try out? And even that would become a bit overwhelming. So, I'm curious to know where you started in this process of self-management to get yourself through what was ahead of you? Well, I started in denial. I, I couldn't believe that this was happening to me because I'd always had the opinion that you can control things in your life, right? You save money, uh -huh. you can exercise, you can eat well. And I had a, yeah. I have a background. I was a high-performance athlete. I used to be a competitive swimmer, competitive cyclist. Mm -hmm. I used to race Ironman. So it's like I thought I figured everything out. I mitigated all the risks so I wouldn't get you know, a potentially terminal disease. And, um, and I just, I was so um, distraught that I had to come to terms with the brutal truth that in life, um, we have very little control over the things that can happen to us. Right. And it, it shook my reality just to the core because, um, you know, as an organic food eater, a clean life liver, you know, all these things right. suddenly um, I got the thing that I wasn't supposed to get because if you eat your vegetables and exercise, you're safe, right? Right. And if you're fit and you're healthy and you live a good life, you know, and you all sorts of things, you're going, okay, I've ticked all the boxes. How yes. is it even possible that this happens? Exactly. So I think the first thing um, that just 
grounded me in just the hardest way was that um, we don't have control over our lives. And um, and I, I think I became obsessed with trying to figure out how I got cancer. Like, how did this happen? Mm. Right. And I, I talked to my oncologist who was doing this for over 20 years. And his answer just brought me to tears. He goes, Carrie, it just happens. Right. So it's like, wow, you, you can't prevent it. What? You know? <laughs> so it was, it was really, really hard for me to come to the understanding that bad things happen in lives and you can't, you know, can't stop them. So the whole um, illusion of control, I had to focus on things I could control in my life and then the things I couldn't control. So, you know, things you can control are your thoughts and your actions. Things you can't control are a progression of a disease. So I had to really sit down and look at the things I could, could do and then let go of the things I couldn't do. And that I think helped ease my mind as much as possible because you just have to somehow just hand yourself over. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, this is, in some ways, this is a well-worn path. You know, Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, has at its heart the same insight, which is you find yourself in circumstances that are beyond your control and you end up being able to control your thoughts and your actions. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to you about some of the actions that you have found Um, nourishing and help build resilience. But I want to start with controlling your thoughts or at least managing or or recognizing your thoughts. What did you notice and what did, what shifted and what did you do? And, you know, how did you, how did you play the mind game? Oh, well, um, I had to sit down. uh, I mean, I have a science background, so I I like facts. I like studies, Mm -hmm. but thoughts aren't facts. Right. <laughs> so true. <laughs> you know, thinking about the scary things doesn't make them your reality. Um, yep. You can make them feel real um, if you're prone to catastrophizing. Um, it's that really annoying habit of taking every irrational thought and believing it's far worse than it really is. Exactly. But, um, but you know, um, we all have a scary things cliff. And if you climb up and look over the edge, you'll you'll see the thing you fear most. Um, it may mm-hmm. feel real. You can lean into it, but being consumed by it, jumping off, is is not going to help anyone. So, <laughs> I I, uh, I created a, a fact list. Um, you know, uh, things that I knew were good about my diagnosis and things that I was I was getting done. So, I had a fact list. So every time I felt stressed, I'm like, okay, well, the surgeon report says I had clean surgery. They got it all out. It didn't progress right. to my lymph nodes. That's another good thing, right? I'm doing this horrible chemotherapy. It's seven rounds, you know, good. You know, that's proven to eradicate the cells in my body. So I kept listing yep. off these positive things that I was doing and knowing about. And I, I created habits too. I mean, as a, as a for, former perfor- high-performance athlete, um, my surgeon said that athletes do really well with chemo. And that surprised me because I was like, how? But once the muscle memory of doing sports and the mind memory of preparing to do sports kicked in, I could see why he would say that. Because suddenly the kind of routines that got me to the end of the finishing line at the end of an Ironman race were the exact same habits um, and thought processes that got me to the end of chemo. So it was, you know, I put my running shoes in front of the house the front door Mm -hmm. so that I would put them on and go for a walk seeing the cue 
reducing the friction to getting my shoes on made it easier for me to get my daily right. exercise, right? So, right. you know, the flow of, of race. So swimming, there's a certain flow that you have when you're in the zone. And you can have this with anything in your life. If you're a writer or sure. a speaker, we all know that feeling of flow where things just feel effortless and easy. Yeah. So I would try and think about that in my mind from when I was a swimmer and try and reestablish that when I was trying to get some exercise or my thinking patterns or sitting in the chemo ward, you know, receiving chemotherapy in my veins. It was the flow of, okay, this is part of the process. Um, right. Get in the zone. I That's guess. so great. Yeah. I love that insight about getting in the zone and understanding that that's not just a endorphic high you get from running i mean personally i've never felt it swimming for me swimming is just a extended version of drowning so i've never hit a flow state around that but i have with cycling and with running and some other things as well so i, I do understand that but it's such a powerful insight to understand that 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 ritual and routine and repetition is part of what allows a flow state to open up and mm -hmm. by setting yourself up to allow to keep accessing those habits and those rituals and repetitions, you allow yourself to be in that flow state, which is a kind of optimal performance state. Mm -hmm. it, it completely is. And, uh, and a big part of that is also focusing on the present, right? Um, because if you're thinking about tomorrow, it's really hard to get into the flow in the moment. Um, you know, like I, I've, I've always been someone that's um, focused on my future self, um, unfortunately, I'm a financial person, so my whole <laughs> my whole gig is getting people to save for the future, right? I'm like, save, right. save, um, you know, sacrifice some needs of your present self so that your future self will thank you when you right. hit the future. So when I before I was diagnosed, I was all about saving, saving, save your money, right? When I got diagnosed, I was like, spend, <laughs> spend it, <laughs> right, right. And now I'm I'm kind of back in, in in a nice happy middle ground. So I learned a lot of lessons there about you know um, nice. you need to enjoy your present a lot more. It's not all about the future. Um, and you and you have 15 cars that you're now looking to sell. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I own just a tiny smart car and four bicycles. So I think I'm pretty <laughs> there we go. pretty frugal there. My but, um, guess is if you're yeah. a peak ath athlete, you probably your bicycles are probably worth more than most of the cars that are out there. So oh, yeah. it's another thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I hate telling people that, but it's true. But um, I, I think so. Um, but the other thing that really is still getting me through things today is is the present. So when I was first mm. diagnosed, I wanted to solve all the problems now, right? I wanted right. I wanted to. I was mentally trying to get through, wrap my head around all that treatment. Um, all the different scenarios, the genetic testing, the surgery. I was trying to chart out all the scenarios and tr troubleshoot all the side effects. The thing is, many of them didn't even happen. So right. I wasted all this mental thought process on thinking what if rather than just being. So, I mean, cancer is not something that can be planned and conquered in one day. The disease mm -hmm. requires patience. So if you don't have patience, cancer is not the disease for you because you have to really <laughs> sit down and go through, you know, the process. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I was stressed about a lot of the things people were stressed about, like losing their hair and, and whatnot mm -hmm. um, and all the uncertainty. So in order to step through all the uncertainty, um, you kind of can't let the unknown future steal your present, I guess, is the, the nice. same. 
So um, I had to live for today in the moment. And I, I got a big calendar and um, would write the days down with treatment days, resting days. And every day that went by, my daughter, who was eight at the, uh, seven at the time, my husband, we would cross off another day. Because nice. another lived day was another day I got through it. And so I didn't look too far ahead. It was just getting to 5 p.m. where I could cross that day off. That's and, great. And it, it helps so immensely. Um, so I would say that cancer taught me a lot to live for today because tomorrow's a big unknown and it's impossible right. to plan for every nuance. Yeah, it's that weird tension about a sustainable life and I've heard it in the context of how you think about running a company, but it, I think the, the the language applies to life as well, which is, here's what's in my head. I'll just say. It's, <laughs> it's, like, it's like plan like you're going to live forever, mm-hmm. live like you're only going to live today. Yeah. And and they're contradictory. They're contradictory statements. But But actually, it's always in the tension between two things that are true yet contradictory. Wisdom lies. And it feels like part of what you're pointing us to is some of that wisdom around finding the balance between needing to plan and needing to live. Yeah. Yeah. It was just the ability to focus on the now and take small daily steps. Um, they can get you to the bigger goal, you know, focus on habit, not the outcome. So my, my goal mm-hmm. wasn't to run a marathon like I used to. It was to walk around the block. And right. every day, if I'm closer to walking around the block, maybe one day I can run another marathon, right? So yes. building building the, the base. Hey, Kerry, I'm curious to know what else did you have to learn to say no to? You know, and these are, mm. I'm thinking, you know, past expectations about yourself or beliefs about the world. You know, there's clearly shedding that's going on to help you transition through this. What, what else did you let go as part of this journey? Oh, that's such a good question. Well, when I was diagnosed, I didn't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't post on social media. I just, I had booked all these speaking gigs and I had to cancel them. And I just said, I'm having a, a medical emergency. Um, I didn't tell anyone because I think I felt ashamed for having cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just something that was so far off my radar that I thought that's something. Right, this is not on brand. <laughs> yeah, this isn't <laughs> right. This is this is so off brand. This will never happen. Like it just it. I just felt ashamed, right? Mm. And I, and the way a few close people to me reacted, um, it really kind of solidified that. Like, oh, what did you do to deserve that? Right. right? Um, you know what in your life. Did you do, and then people would distance themselves from me because they wanted to see what I did that was different from them. So it got them off the hook from possibly being ill in the future as well. So I really had to, uh, I had to let go of the shame of having this happen um, because it's, it it just happens. Right. So the perfection, I'm, I'm such a perfectionist, you know, everything I write, I want it to be perfect. You know, I (laughs) go on TV, I want to hit you know, the mark, you know, I beat totally. myself up. Um, you I know, mean, you wrote to me before this interview going, how long is the interview exactly? Because I want to know exactly what I need to prepare so I can hit my lines and hit my marks. Yeah. And you're the only guest who's, who's come back with that kind of level of, I need, I need, I need to understand the rules of the game so that <laughs> I can play the game really well. Well, um, I mean, 
I do like national television live on you air. Stuff too. Exactly. So, so, I mean, you got to know, are you doing like a two minute segment, a five minute segment? That's just, I think, professional, but um, <laughs> you know, like I, I want to prepare enough, you know, content yeah. for those segments. So that's just respecting, you know, the audience and respecting the time of, um, the media outlet, right? So that to me is sure. just a normal question. But but yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I, I want to make sure, you know, that things are right. But the perfectionism, I've really, you know, when when you lose, how's this? So when, when you lose 20% of your body mass, you have no body mm. hair, you've got no hair, no eyelashes, yeah. no eyebrows, like being stripped down to the core of your yeah. existence. Like there's no secrets. There's no, there's no reason to even attempt perfection because it's just, I was in survival mode, right? My, right. My, my perfect didn't exist. My, my reality was I had to walk every day, drink water every day, make it through the day. Right. Mm. So it kind of erased all that need um, to have, you know, good hair or, you know, any of the ridiculous nuances we have that we think are important because they're not. I mean, when you're stripped down, the yep. only thing that matters is the people in your life and that you love them. And that's really it. So, um, you know, I had to just isolate myself um, and surround myself, sorry, with, with the people that mattered most yeah. and those people that had negative things to say or um, couldn't deal with my diagnosis because that happens a lot too. People just can't deal with it. Um yeah let that go. You know, and I think that was really tough for sure. I mean, this, I mean, I so appreciate you sharing the story with us and, you know, being vulnerable and just giving the insights around here. And so all my questions are probably just on the wrong side of too nosy. Um, <laughs> but I'm okay. going to ask them anyway and know that, you know, you're a professional, you'll manage them in, in a graceful way. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you will. Um, I, I am curious to, well, first of all, I just want to acknowledge that your new short hair looks awesome, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm liking it more than the longer hair that you used to have, but that's just my personal opinion. It's very curly um, now. I've got chemo curls. Totally it, it grew back curly, and it's just it's, it grows vertically. I mean, it's just this crazy <laughs> – it's like growing up. I, I was lucky because we, when we hit the pandemic, I was like, oh, I'm yeah. never going to get a haircut now. So I have a post chemo pandemic pixie. Like it's just <laughs> it's a mixture perfect. no one else gets to have except recent cancer, cancer patients. So um, I'm living it. I mean, yeah, I've, yeah. Had, I've had the same hairstyle for, I guess, 42 years. Right. I've always resisted change. I hated change. I would manage and mitigate against any weird change, right? And then here I am, mm -hmm. you know, now I get to uh, try all these hairstyles I've never had before. So right. yeah, let's go curly, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you think about relationships differently now? Oh boy. Um, very differently. I would say one of the most impactful things that happened to me over the last year was that I met a group of women who are also cancer survivors. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a level of um, friendship and understanding I've never had in my life. This group of women found me when I was newly diagnosed, and they literally picked me up off the ground where I was messy crying mm. uh, and helped me. 
because they yeah. had walked through the experience and they were on the other side. And because I could see them and see that they were healthy, I felt yeah. like I could be like them yeah. and get there as well. So they guided me through everything. And it was the most selfless, helpful, amazing experience. Like, yeah. you know, and many of them have young children too. So it was everything from offering to do a meal train to help me parenting, take me to appointments. Um, you know, if I had a question about, you know, some medical diagnoses that doctors aren't always good at explaining, you know, they can be very right. cold. Um, these women would explain it to me in a more relatable term based on, you know, where they've been and how they've experienced, you know, a chemo drug or, or whatnot. So I think the relationships I developed from my support group um, just blew my mind that these networks of women exist were kind of secret and quiet, but it's not necessarily a group you want to join, but, <laughs> but, right. but to have but if you them, have to join a join a really good one. Yeah. Join, yeah. And it just I think like they're just messaging me now. Like when I first went back on television, they all were cheering me on. All these messages. And it's a level of support I don't normally get doing media because people yeah. aren't always so supportive. You know, they look at ways to drag you down. Mm -hmm. And these women just built me up. You know, they cheered me on every step of the way, um, whether I'm writing about cancer or talking about money or, or whatever, they are just, they rebuild. So I think that level of relationship is just very eye-opening. And if you are a newly diagnosed um, with cancer, I would suggest definitely find a young adults group um, if you are a young adult, because otherwise being in the chemo room can be very isolating and very lonely because everyone is so much older. So right. it's, it, that changed my life and it still does because these women will be with me forever and I will be by their side as well. And I'll be there for the next woman in the area that, um, you know, needs support, needs help. Um, definitely. Um, my husband was inc is incredible. I mean, he's a, he, he he's unwavering, you know, <laughs> a lot of, mm -hmm. um, a lot of uh, people with cancer experience this phenomenon called cancer ghosting where people who've been in your life just disappear. And it's mm -hmm. so strange. Like I just, I couldn't believe that happened. Husbands leave wives. It happens. Right. Um, but the people in my core group were just so supportive of me and they let me be messy on the floor. And then they reminded me, you know, here's your running shoes, go for your walk. <laughs> right. Like, you know, everything from making food, stocking the, the fridge. So when I was feeling well enough to eat, it was there, you know, all these little things can make such a big mm -hmm. impact. Childcare. The, the women would come and take my daughter um, and yeah. give me an afternoon to sleep. So these sort of relationships are so important. Carrie, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you. I know, I mean, I get a lot from this and I don't have anybody immediately in my life with cancer, but it's still a very inspiring story to hear because your story goes beyond managing the shock and the immediacy and the, the the anxiety and the fear of cancer, it speaks to a deeper way of living a life as well, I think. So thank you. Thank you, Michael, for uh, for having me on the show. And yeah, anytime. Well, for people who want to find out more about who you are, Kerry K. Taylor, <laughs> where will they find you out in the out in the electronic world? Uh, I think the best place is always my blog. So squawkfox.com and that's S-Q-U-A-W-K-F-O-X.com. And there's a lot of 
goodies there to help people manage their lives, um, their financial lives in really helpful ways. Kerry, you're awesome. Thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you, Michael. Hey, it's Michael here. Two things before you go. The first is a gift. The second is a request. The gift, I want you to go to mbs.works and hunt down the year of living brilliantly. Really, it's some of my best work because it is a 52-week, 52-teacher, absolutely free video-based course where I spend a lot of time curating some of the smartest people I know and saying, teach me the best of what you've got. If you're looking to really step up, to have a year that's just a little bit sweeter, a little bit better than the year you've just had, that is a terrific resource. So please go and check that out. Absolutely free, no obligation, nothing required other than for you to sign up and get going on it. And then for the request, I just want what every podcast host wants, which is a little bit of love. So if you'd consider going to iTunes or Spotify or whatever your favorite podcast platform is, and giving the podcast a bit of a rating and a bit of a review, that would be amazing. Thank you.